You'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes 1. Ecclesiastes 1. We're ready for verse 12. It says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. Now, he's talked out a little bit about himself in verse 1. But here, in, you know, towards the end of this chapter, he goes over again. He tells about himself. He never calls himself Solomon, but uh, who's the wisest king? Who was a king? Who was the son of David? You know, well, we can, it's not too hard to figure out that this is Solomon. And just for a brief review, I know we've read this before, but I want to read it again. If you'll look at, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 4, it tells us a little about, about his life. And, and Solomon is one that I think that maybe our church knows more about just because I've gone through Song of Solomon a few times. 1 Kings chapter 4, but it gives us some insight into him, and I like this passage, it helps give me a context about who it is that we're talking about, and what that he's going to be exploring for these next 11 chapters after we get done with this chapter. Um, but 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much, and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. He's like, man, he, he gave. I mean, if you think of the sand on the seashore, you know, he gave him this, and he gave him wisdom. And so this is a God-given ability. It's not just a man and his cleverness. God has given him understanding, given him insight, given him a desire to look into places to where it's like, I never even thought to look for that, or to, to thought in that way. He's given him all of that. Verse 30, And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country. Think of in the East, you know, all the technologies that they had in the, in the Orient and the East. And all the wisdom of Egypt, you think of all the technologies and things we're still discovering there. Uh, verse 31, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, uh, the Ezraite. These must have been famous people at that time. The uh, He-Man uh, of uh, Charcoaladan and Darda, the son of Mahol. And his fame was in all the nations round about. And he spake thrones were a thousand and five. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, that's the big giant tree, even to the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. That would be a little seed that finds a little crevice on the crack of a wall and be able to spring out. He studied big trees, he studied little trees, you know, the biggest things and the littlest things. He also spake of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon, of all the kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. And so he'd studied all the subjects. He'd studied plants. He studied animals. He studied birds. He studied reptiles. He studied fish. He studied man and philosophy. He wrote songs. He, told, he talked about wisdom. He talked about the Proverbs that he wrote down. He talked about man's heart and the schools of thought and how man thought and where the answers might lie. Or is it in this? Is it in botany? Is it in exploration? Is it in all these things? He explored. He did mining. He, he went and, and sent ships out. He probably helped build their fleet and all the engineering things it took for the boat. Uh, he had horses. He had stalls. He had, all these different, he had all these different things that came from him, that came from his knowledge and, again, building and everything else. And we're going to see a lot of those different subjects covered for us in Ecclesiastes as he goes and he says, and I pursued him, and I pursued him to the end. I studied them all as much as I could. So he studied it all. So Ecclesiastes 1, this is him, the preacher, verse 12. Verse 13 says, And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Um, So he covers everything that that we saw about him in 1 Kings chapter 4, he kind of says it here. He goes, I gave my heart to, to seek all of this out. 
And 1 Kings chapter 4 gave us some specific things. But he's just telling us here, he said, I truly dedicated my life to searching out the answers to these questions. What is the purpose of man? What is the point of man? Why is man here? What is life about? But he did limit himself and he said, can I find it all on this side, under the sun, or here he uses the term under heaven. Can I find it without God? Can I find it without eternity in mind? That, that's the limits that he put on himself. So he did kind of limit himself. And so he says, I want to search it out. Can man do this? Can man save himself? Can man find satisfaction? And so he's searching into these things. And so he doesn't use the term under the sun here. He uses the term under heaven. It means the same thing. It's limited down here and without including God. And, it's, uh, it, it, and it just means basically everything that we can do on the earth. I searched out life on earth. Everything that is available on earth, I searched through these things. I searched through man's life, man's wisdom, man's technology, man's things. I searched all these. And he says here, he uses the term, verse 13 says, And I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom. That's one you tend to maybe just read past. But these two words are not synonymous. Or they don't mean the same thing. To seek, it's a verb. It means penetrating into the depths of an object. It means you find something... And then he studies it, and he looks at it. Um, I don't know if any of you remember doing this in school, but um, they would usually put something out, and then like uh, say some object, a vase or a picture or whatever, and then they would say, okay, you have to write so many things about it. Anybody else remember doing anything like that? And you write, and you're like, oh, I don't know, it's a picture. And they're like, no, you have to say some things about this. Well, there's a picture that is square. It's about this wide in depth. And then the more you looked at it, and the more you were pressed by the teacher to tell me what you see in this, you know, or, or it's a vase. It's round. It's curved. It goes up this far. It goes down that high. It looked like it might be used for drink. You know, it's amazing how much information you could get by sitting there looking at somebody and somebody saying, what else do you see? What else do you see? What else do you see? And you're like, I don't know. And then you, and you keep thinking, but the more you look at it, the more you're like, man, there's a lot there. And when you get done, you have the, this page full of, of information. You're like, wow. There's a lot more there to see than I thought. I think most of the time we're just kind of like, oh, it's a cup. You know? And then we go on and we don't pay much de- attention to detail. And so he says, I paid attention to detail. I seeked. I truly looked at it. And I really looked at it. And I, that's why I think it kind of gave us that little hint when he said, the trees in Lebanon that you would look at and like, they're big and they're massive. To the point where he's like, I sit here in my throne and I can see that little tree that's sprouting out the side of the wall. And I was curious to... What's making it grow? It's not in dirt. And he goes and he looks and he looks and see how the root system and how it branches out and how he would study it all in detail and all in depth. And yet he would take the time and to search all those things out. So he, he did seek it in that way. And then that's seeking, looking at the nuances, looking at the very minutiae of something. And then search is a comprehensive survey of matters further away. So he might consider everything that he could see, everything within his reach, and he's like, I wonder what else there is out there. That's why we know he sent out ships. Uh, we're told that he had a menagerie, right? They, they would bring in monkeys and peacocks, and they would go out and find these exotic animals. They're like, you ever seen anything like this before? And he'd be like, I don't know, it's a monkey. What's that? You know, and then they would study it and look at it, and he would write things about it and ponder and, 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 and talk on what he saw and how it was there, and people would come and learn from him. And so not only did he, he search everything around him, but he searched out there. What, do I know? what is there that I don't know that I need to find out about? You, know, that, that's, you don't know what you don't know. You know, until you know about it. And then you're like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, and that's not a, <laughs> that's actually a famous quote, but you don't know what you don't know until you know. You know, but there's things out there. You ever had that before? You hear a topic and you're like, I never knew that was a thing. I never even knew that that was going on. I never even considered that. And there's a whole world that people dedicate their lives to on, on certain things. That's kind of interesting that way. It's not always 
maybe not always interesting. Sometimes you're like, that's weird. You know, but, but there's, a, there's whole things out there that, that we don't even think about. And so he's using these two methods of investigation as he ponders into this. And he's telling us on the outset, he goes, this is not just a trivial cursorial survey. I have looked in detail and I've looked past what would just have been normal. Because he's also put in the position, I think that's why he keeps telling us, I'm the king. I have wisdom. God gave me the money, the time, and the finances, and the power to be able to do this. You know, I might say, hmm, I wonder what's going on on the backside of the earth. I can't get on a plane or launch a boat and send an excavation party out there. I don't have the funds in the building, the power to do that. Solomon's like, I have a unique opportunity to do so, and so I did. And so he searches it all out. And it's to, and it's to save man grief if we would just read the word. If, as far as the world goes. And so he uses these two methods of investigation to find something, anything, look at it, study it in detail, to seek it out and to search it, to, you know, just mine it through all of its depths. And in searching out this way, he wanted to find out what else there was. And so, you know, what topics do I not even know and consider? You know, he even looked for that. And so... Uh, he was just a very curious person. I think God made him that way. And he says he used his wisdom to do this. He goes, I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom. And his wisdom is a supernatural gift given to him by God. It's not just you know, our wisdom and what we know, that God touched him and gave him a talent in this area. So it is deeper and it is farther and it was more um, penetrating than just what you and I would come up with. So God had truly penetrated him. I wish that we had all of his writings uh, that we could look and see, but uh, we don't. And so we have what has been preserved for us. And he calls uh, some of this search sore travail. So right after it says under heaven, this was done under heaven, he said, this sore travail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith. Sore travail. Hard work. The hardness of life. He used all of his wisdom to look into this, to help him to see life. And wisdom is for that. Wisdom is to help in life. You know, we're, Those are going to be later in Ecclesiastes. We're going to look and see where he calls wisdom a good thing. Because wisdom is a good thing. We are to have wisdom and understanding. Proverbs goes through that and talks all the time about wisdom is out there. Wisdom is available. Learn from wisdom. We should learn from wisdom. We should be wise. Wisdom will help you to live healthier. You know, hey, we've learned, you know, in this study, don't do that. You know, don't drink gallons of glue. It's going to kill you. Or, you know, just, you know, whatever. You know, all these different health things that we have. Here are things that will make your life happier. You know, if you would just do this. And we get these lists all the time, you know, especially on the computer. Um, here's a way that you can live a more prosperous life, a more productive life, a more beneficial life. And we, and we have all these wisdoms that are given to us. And they are good to make your life better. And make you live more wisely. And your life would be better if you lived more wisely. And you would have maybe a better quality of life but you would have no true answers. You still have the short amount of time that we have here on the earth. You're not going to learn how to live forever. Uh, you're not going to be solving any of life's major problems. Um, you're just going to have to then live your life as best as you can, as happy as you can, pass it off to your children. <laughs> Try to do better. You know, and it's like, and just knowing that that's going to repeat ad in, in, you know, forever um, and with no, no true answers. No true answers. And so... He claims that that's a sore travail. And he says that this sore travail, this hardness, this futility of it, he says it's given by God. That God gave it to us. That God made it hard. That God made it sore. God made it where it's not pleasable, where it's not easy, where he made it, made it work for us. And we know that part of that's true. It's from the curse, right? That uh, 
He says, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow for food where you just had to pluck and get it. But he says here, God made it. That God deliberately built a system where life is meaningless and empty unless you know him, unless you know God. And that is 100% true. He did do that. But it's not cruel. The world would see it and they would take it at that face value like, what a cruel God that he would make life hard, that he would make life seem empty, that he would make life seem, seem um, meaningless. That is a cruel God to do that. If that's where you stop, yeah, it might seem that way. But it's not out of his cruelty that he does that. It actually shows his greater love for mankind and for you and me that he does that. He put a desire in you to have meaning. Don't you want your life to count? Every person wants their life to count for something. We want to do something that changes the world, that makes a difference. That you want to have some kind of fulfillment in who you are and what you do and and why you're here and why does this all matter and why did I study and why do I work and why do I bother? There must be some point to all this. You have to have your life matter. There's something about us that just seems so empty and so cruel if life doesn't matter. We don't make a difference. We want our lives to make a difference. And God has put that in us. Augustine said, The Creator made a God-shaped space in each of us, which can only be filled with Him. We reduce that down to, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart. (laughs) That's how we've taken Augustine's statement. But that's that's true, that God has made an emptiness within us that can only be filled by Him. And He makes life hard so that we keep saying, this is empty, this is meaningless, this is vanity of vanities. I need more, what else is there? And there He is, it's me. I'm I'm what you're seeking for, I'm the answer. And so it's true. All of our answers are found in Him. He is the answer to life's greatest question. And I think, you know, from listening to our Sunday school teachers, that the kids get this early, and it's kind of frustrating when you're a Sunday school teacher at an early age, but when you're like asking them and the kids are half paying attention, but they learn early on enough that generally if you were asked a Bible question, the answer is Jesus. Jesus? It's like you're not even listening to what I'm talking about. Jesus? Yeah. But really, that's kind of a good default answer to instill in them at a young age because the answer generally is Jesus. It's Him. He is the answer, the Creator. And so, if you operate life without Him, it's designed to frustrate you. It's designed to push you to seek. It's designed to push you to search out and say, what is there? Why is this meaningless? What is the point in all this? Because God is there waiting. Determines how bullheaded you are for how long you see it or what great attempts he goes to to make your life great. You know, so then you can turn around and say, these hard things that I went through were pointing me to him, and they turned out not to be hard things at all. They turned out to be God's great gift to point us to him, to give us the answers, to give us life. Verse 14, he says, I have seen all the works that there was done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It's just empty. He says, I've seen it all, and it's all empty. It's all worthless without God. We need to add that to it. That's the part the word to be adding. It's all empty. It is all worthless without God. So what? You get your paycheck. Government's going to take most of it. You're going to have to spend the rest of it. You're going to have very little left. If you do, you're going to spend that on something. Oh, great. The water heater went out. Oh, great. Need new tires. Oh, great. Need this. It's always going to go somewhere and you have to work some more and get some more and earn some more. So it does seem empty. Verse 15. I communed with mine own heart saying, lo, I am come to great, uh, to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Experience and wisdom and knowledge. Uh, I read too far. Uh, verse 15, sorry. <laughs> that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting 
cannot be numbered. That makes a lot more sense for where I was going. I'm like, man, I skipped the whole portion. Yeah, so verse 15, I'll read it again. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. Wisdom, learning, education, education can't answer all life's problems. It can't. There are, it says crooked, and then, what's it say, gaps? There are twists. That there are crookedness made straight, and that which is wanting. Wanting means nothing. That cannot be numbered. There's, there's big holes. And so there are twists and gaps in what man thinks, what man knows. No matter how hard the thinker thinks, we can't solve all the problems. You can't reduce it down to a system that is neat and tidy, and that's what frustrates science. They try to find the singularity. They try to find the one thing. They try to find the answer to it all. They want to boil it down and say, here, this makes it all work. And they try to find it without God, and it doesn't work. Um, again, that's, that's the system in which our world operates in, a system without God. This is how the world wants to operate. They want to operate without God. They want to say the answers are without God. They want to say don't even consider God. And so they, they try to operate under that, and that's why it's so useless and empty and depressing. And so science seeks, science searches, but they limit it to naturalistic answers. They are doing the same thing that Solomon was trying to do here, and he came to the conclusion already, and he was the wisest man ever, but our scientific system seeks to do the same thing. God wants us to explore. He put that in us. It's part of his drawing card to draw us out. Search, find out, look for more. What's over the next ridge? What's on the next thing? What's on that next book? What, what don't you know? What do you want to know? What's that class going to teach you? He wants us to search and to find out, but the whole time it's secretly him behind the scenes saying, Find me. Find me. Acts 17 says that, that we would search for him, feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. It's kind of like this, how the world wants to operate. Um, the mayor of Franklin gets killed. And he desperately comes to the police force. We've got to find the killer. The mayor of Franklin's been killed. We've got to find the killer. But uh, in the news media today, with all the Me Too and everything going on, it can't be a woman. We're not going to be a county that says a woman killed the mayor. And so look for the killer, but the killer cannot be a woman. We cannot have any bad press about a woman killing him. And so they go and they search out. But if all the evidence points to that's a woman, and they can't have it be a woman, so they have, to, they have to jump through great hoops and go through great stretches and do vast leaps in logic to make it work out dependent on something that's not a woman when the, when the evidence could all be pointing to that. That's what science does. It wants to say, why all this and what all this, but the answer can't be God. And if everything keeps pointing back to God, they have to then do all kinds of crazy and stupid stuff to try to say that it's not God because it can't be God, even though the evidence is all built and designed to point to him. And so it's just an exercise in futility. It is stupidity. If we're truly scientific, we should examine it, look at all possibilities, and the one that fits is the answer. That's how it's supposed to work. And we're supposed to be able to then repeat that universally around the world or anywhere. It should work everywhere if it's going to be right. But we have that little, little add-on on there, but it can't be God. It can't be that way. But we don't have that. It can be God. It is God because he's the answer. And that's what Solomon finds here. And so science tr tries to operate like that. Um, but it just doesn't work. That's why they want to say, if they get down to it, they're like, man, the world is irreducibly complex. It looks like it's designed for mankind. The more we search the heavens, the more we find out unique is, or the earth is unique. It seems like it is designed for people to live on. It has food for us, a variety of food. It has water. It has oxygen, just to the oxygen levels that we need. It has all these things, everything we need for life to sustain life, to take it on there. Sure seems like it was made this way. It can't be God. must be aliens. 
It's got to be, you know, yeah, it's designed and they get to the point where it didn't make itself and you know, evolution's not working. Someone else had to put it here, so they just push all the problems off to another planet. Well, yeah, let's move it someplace else and we'll trust in the great big unknown spaceship that might be out there because they're smarter than us and they're stronger than us. They're saying everything about them that applies to God, but they want to put it on some other race that way. And a lot of science is going that way. Panspermia is what they call it, that life was seeded by another race here. And it's like, uh, no, God did it. You know, get off your high horse. Humble yourself and realize that you're made and that there's a creator. Uh, I looked at Scientific American. Uh, it's a scientific publication. And they had a list of things that they're like, you know, we really don't know very much. And in a rare article, they admitted how much they didn't know. They said, you know, science and all of its studying and where we are in 2018, we do not know why the universe exists. They're like, through all of our study, we don't know why it's here. We don't know where it came from. We don't know where the stuff came from. We don't know why it works the way it works. We don't know why it's spreading the way it spreads. We don't know why all these things are. We don't know really anything about the universe. We don't know why it's here. I do. The Bible says to glorify God. Right? He's made it for mankind to put and to point out to him. He's put him for signs, for stars in a season. Genesis 1 will go through and tell you why I put what is there, for what reason. And it's all to point to him, to glorify him, and for our benefit. You know, and Some of it's just for our pleasure. That's beautiful to look at. Uh, I put the moon up there so you have a, a, a greater light and a lesser light. And you can see to move around. He's put all these things. And I can stand outside and praise God. It is freezing cold in January, unless it's today. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, this uh, past week, we had three great meteors uh, that, that hit the earth. As a matter of fact, they call them bolides. That means it's a meteor that explodes in our atmosphere you know, before it comes. And so Russia had one, I think, on the 7th. Michigan had one on the 9th. And then we had one on Indiana, the south side, on the 10th. And so we had these great, they came out of nowhere. We have all this early warning system. We don't know what. And it's just like all this big confusion. I can just look at them like, oh, Man, why didn't we see that? Because the one that was on Indiana, we were out about that time, and we were driving this. We were driving uh, west, and I think it was more north, and so we didn't see it. So we and I get home. Why didn't we see that? So the next night, we're like, it's clear outside. We're like, well, that's long enough because it's cold out. <laughs> so we we try to look out and watch because we're like, maybe there'd be another one. It was too cold to stand out there very long. But man, when it's cold, the stars are so clear. So as many times we get out of the car, we'll stop and like, look at that. Wow, it's cold. <laughs> and then we'll go inside, and then we'll sit in there in our cozy bed, and Elaine will be like, we should go outside. It's really clear. And look, I'm like, yeah, we should. Ooh, but it's cold outside. <laughs> and, so, and so we don't always go out there, but sometimes we do. But man, it's just beautiful to see God's handiwork, to watch it and stare at it and, and contemplate how big he is and how small we are. We should. And they don't do that. And they miss out on a lot. And Solomon says, why are they so confused? And why are they so desperate? And why are they so empty? Because they don't come to the right conclusion. Where I can glorify my creator. I can praise him for how big and how fearful and how wonderful he is and how wonderful he's made all this and how it's all there for signs and seasons that we could use it all. I can praise him for it. They have no answers and they just have to say, we don't know. Scratch their heads. They also say, we don't know what dark matter or dark energy are. But they assume it is there and they have to have it. They're like, we assume it is there. We have to have it. it has to be there because visible matter in the universe, we can see 4.9%. That's not very much. And so there's a whole lot of something else out there, and we don't know what it is, and there's too much of that nothing else out there, and so they're like, there has to be something out there that is holding it together, that is making it work, that would put these forces out there to make all these things work, and so there must be dark matter. There, must, there has to be more matter than what we can see, so there must be invisible matter that we can't see. Instead of saying invisible, because we think, you're crazy, and they say it's dark. Well, it's just dark. You can't see it. Or it's dark energy. There's some energy that's being 
exuded on the universe that is keeping it all together because it shouldn't work. You know, looking at it in our naturalistic explanations that if we take God off the table, none of this works. It shouldn't work, so we have to invent something to make it work. Hmm. I know why it works. <laughs> I know why it doesn't work. Matter of fact, I can take you to a Bible verse. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Whenever I read these headlines, I'm tempted to buy the books every time I see them, but I always think, uh, I, I could take you to the chapter and verse for that answer that you're seeking, but they want it to be naturalistic. It has to be naturalistic. But maybe the answer is not naturalistic. Oh, I can tell you exactly the answer is not naturalistic. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God has done stuff and put problems out there that we can't solve, that only He can solve, that you have to put it in His lap. Trying to draw men unto Himself. These smart people. That, it seems like God's working harder on them, asking these hard questions, and He keeps coming back with them. It's me. It's me, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created. There's why the universe is, and that's how come he made it. Um, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. I made the things you can see matter, and I made the invisible things, the forces that work to hold them together. I'm in charge of all those things, dark matter right there, invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I made them, I made them for me. Why does the universe exist? For me. Uh, what are they there for? Because I wanted it to be that way. How does it work? I made it so that it works, and I made it seem frustrating to you because I am doing it all. Verse 17 says, and he is before all things. What was before the universe? Him. What will be after the universe? Him. Uh, I was before all things, and by him all things consist. There's the verse. He holds it all together. He is the dark matter. He is the dark energy. He is the gluons, the force that is holding things together that we cannot see. Why, don't an at- why doesn't an atom and all of its particles fly apart? They should be repelling each other, but for some reason they all stick together because God is making them consist. Because he is saying by his word, hold, be there, be solid, be these things. All this to point to him. And here's the answer, but they're like, but it can't be that. The answer's that. And so it is frustrating for them. And God wants to frustrate them to the point where they give up. You have to think of it like a boxer. A boxer wants to win the round, and a boxer might have a decent side to him, you know, but he's going to beat a guy until he either falls down and doesn't get up anymore or until he submits. And he's not going to stop until the ref blows the whistle or until the guy submits because he's going to win. And God's like, I'm going to win. I'm going to keep pummeling you with all these hard things until you finally have to say, you're the champ. I give up. I'm laying down. I humble myself. You are it. And the sooner you come to that realization, the better off your life will be and the more fulfillment and meaning you'll have i don't wander through life with what's the purpose and meaning of life i know it it's to please god for man to serve god to glorify god what's the meaning in my life my life has meaning if i would just exercise if i would serve my master if i'd serve my creator if my family if my money if i would dedicate it to him if my thoughts would be towards him he would honor that he would glorify that he would be glorified i would be satisfied and doing that and knowing that i have more to give he is the answer they also say in Scientific America, we don't know <clears throat> if life exists anywhere else in the universe. But they sure are hoping on it. They are spending a lot of money on it. They sure are searching long and hard for it. But every place they look, they find the big answer is a big old goose egg. If you remember, the, um, there's a big news story not that long ago that they found an alien structure circling this uh, exo world on this planet they said it looks like it's built around it to protect this planet to make it livable and they said oh the largest alien structure ever found we have found building of all this um this last week or so they decided it was a dust cloud <laughs> and so they had a lot of hope for it they had a lot of oh i bet it's a structure it was just some dust that was flying around but um so there's no alien life that we've not found 
I think that's God's desire that, man, that God has put within man, that there's more, that there's someone else, that we have to connect with them, that we're not alone, that we're not in this alone, that there's someone else in all this that we need to connect with, someone who has answers for us, someone who is smarter than us, someone who has more technology than us, than someone who can give us answers and solve our problems. We do know him. It is God. He has all the answers. He answers every one of those, and they want him to be some little green man so they can do whatever they want to do. So they have no accountability to them. That's what they don't like about God. You can boil it down usually to their sexual morals. <laughs> they want to be able to do what they do without their conscience bothering them. But God gave them that conscience too, to trouble them, to say, you're going to give an account to me, to try to draw them to that point. Another thing Scientific America said is that we don't understand our own biology. <clears throat> the more we discover in ourselves who we are and how we are made up, the more we discover we don't know <laughs> how we are made up and how it all works, how complicated it is. What we thought was the simple cell is not so simple. Matter of fact, there's all kinds of encyclopedic information jammed within there. It sure looked like it's designed, but it can't be designed. And so why does this work this way? If it sure seems like everything is programmed with a job to do, who's the programmer? Why does it work this way? Who puts the information in the DNA and tells it to code and decode and uncode and build this and take away that and attack this? We don't know. I, I know. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are created in his image. And yes, if we truly understood our physiology, and the more we do make great strides, we are making advances all the time. I, I'm married to a nurse, and I get to hear the advances that we make and the attacks that we have on, on chemo, and like, this one's for cure. And yes, we can do this. We can do these things. But there's so much we can't do. And if we did fully understand it all, we would be able to heal our bodies. We would be able to switch this on, turn that off, and, and stop that tumor from growing, and switch this over to this way, and, and reprogram, you know, send the DNA, grow that arm back, and make your eyes new, and make it fresh, and we wouldn't get old, and we wouldn't get wrinkly, and we wouldn't get gray hair, and we wouldn't get, we'd be able to turn all that off. We'd be able to have some power and control over it. But we can't. But I know one who can. I know one who came down and said, blind eyes, I can make you see again. Who said, oh, your ear got detached by Peter and his sword. Let me put that back on for you. Said, I know a guy who saw a crippled person with withered arms. He said, make it straight. And he was able to use it. Crippled people who couldn't walk and their legs were bent up and never been used. And so they were atrophied and dried. And he says, take up your bed and walk. And they did, and they were springing with a step with them. They knew how to walk, and they had their balance. He not only healed their physical body, he healed their mind on how to use their, their body in that way. No months of therapy, no treatment, no learning how to do these things. God gave it to them because he is the one who understands our physiology. He made us. Deaf, you can't hear the songs of the bird. You can't hear the mother's voice. You can't hear your child's laughter. Opens their ears up and listen to the Son of God teach them. Dom, you can't communicate. The one that can talk, he's able to touch their tongue and loose the strings that were on it, like where they could talk clearly and communicate and be able to speak, sing praises unto him. He's the one who says, I can do these things. Goes to a funeral. Sees them crying and weeping. He makes them alive. That's the one who understands our biology, right? He says, I can make all things new. And he gave us a little taste of What's it like to live in my kingdom? What's it like to live in my world? What's it like to live with, not Solomon's world just under the sun, but my world with me, where I am king, where I rule and reign in this creation? And there will be food that I can make out of nothing. 
There'll be healing that comes to you naturally. There'll be joy. There'll be answers. There'll be teaching. There'll be instruction. There'll be laughter. There'll be all. He says, it's all in me. Come to me. I am the good king. And they killed him. They said he did it by the power of Beelzebub. They took the good things that he did and they accredited it to evil. Man, he's bullheaded, isn't he? Here he is with all the answers. All the answers. He's really, I am the one. It is me. And they hated him for it. Scientific American went on to say, we don't know how the earth works. We can't even prove or solve half of our mathematical equations that we really want to know the answers to. We can't make life. We know all the elements of life, but we can't make life. There's so much more. They're like, here's just a few depressing things that we have in this little article that I read that we don't know the answer to. So. But hey, that's part of science, right? We don't know. So we keep searching for answers that never come and it is empty. And we leave the problem to the next generation and the next generation. And just when we think we have it cracked, we find out we don't have it cracked at all. They thought the sm- smallest particle in the world was sand for a long time. They thought that was it. Everything is made out of sand. That is as small as you could get. Kind of makes sense. You know, it's like smallest thing you could see that is there, and then we found out, wait a minute, there's an atom that makes up the sand. Well, the atom is the smallest thing in the world, and it's the smallest thing in the universe, and you cannot break that down anymore until we divided the atom. We split the atom, and we find out, wow, that's made up of three or four little particles. That is the smallest thing there is. Everything is made at the atomic level until we split those particles down. We found out there's a quantum level that is down there, and we can't get past that. The Planck length is the shortest thing there is. There's nothing else, but actually when you split that, it becomes everything and goes everywhere. And We really don't know and understand. Matter of fact, we don't know much about how any of that works. You know, the more we find out about it, we're like, oh, we don't know. Matter of fact, the founders of some of the quantum stuff killed themselves because they didn't like the answers. I don't like the answers. It points towards God. That's bullheadedness. We're to humble ourselves and turn to him. God put this drive within us, in mankind as a whole and as an individual, where we want answers, where we want to solve the problems, where we want purpose, where we want meaning. We want to do a job that is satisfying and that pleases and answers and and has a purpose. Because without God and without eternity, you will be frustrated. You will be empty. You will be depressed. You will focus on a, a lifestyle of death. And that's the world, right? They focus on... Well, then, death is what makes everything good and better, right? Darwin, everything dies and gets better as it goes. It's not what we see. That's what they want to see. And then if there is nothing after this, well, then death is the answer. There's too many people. Start killing people. And people start acting on that. We're like, well, don't shoot people. You know, but then then they shoot people because we're like, it doesn't matter. I'm not accountable. Well, I don't want to be judged, so I shoot myself. And they just find it's depressing. It's dark. It's bloody. It's demonic. It's from the darkness. Who's trying to turn everything away from him? And make it depressing and make it like, why bother? Why live? Why go? We're supposed to be seeking life. God has put that within us. He is the answer. He is the answer that we are looking for. Uh, back to Ecclesiastes. Let's look at the last few verses. Verse um, Chapter 1. Verse 16. It says, I communed with mine own heart. So he's looking within himself for answers. Problem 1. I communed with my own heart saying, Lo, I am come to a great estate. And he goes, I have money, I have great knowledge. He says, I've gotten more wisdom than all that have been before me in Jerusalem, yea, my heart, a great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I have the wisdom, I have the stuff, I have all the tools that should be able to solve this if it is solvable. It was not solvable outside of God. Verse 17, he says, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness, which they say is kind of a fine line. You know, whenever you see the scientist, what we usually portray as the mad scientist, it's like, I've got 
crazy? Yeah, because he finds no answers, there's no fulfillment. And so they almost turn to madness, and so you have to come up with a crazy answer to try to get it that way. It was like the one I always think of was NASA when they were trying to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. They kept making the nose cone sharper and sharper. They're trying to pierce their way back in. They're finally like, all logic says it should be that way. They're like, let's try a round end. And so they made the end flat. They're like, eh, it worked. <laughs> so all their logic didn't work. And so they went opposite of what they thought. Eh, it worked. You know, so it's helped me out a lot of times. It worked. Uh, everything should be this. I'll try the opposite of that. Eh, it worked. You know, so God does all these things to show us that we don't know. And our reasoning doesn't make much sense. He says, I gave my heart to all this. It's, it's madness. I gave myself to madness. I gave myself to wisdom. And he says, and I perceive that they are all vexation of spirit. It's just confusing. Verse 18, 4, and much wisdom is much grief. And he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. Well, that's usually how they kind of paint the college professors. They have no hope. They have no spark within them. You know, you get these scientists that are out there fighting for, there is no point, there is no purpose, there is no God, you are meaningless. It's like, how's that an uplifting message you know, that they want? But that's what they, and so they, they usually, they look kind of curmudgeonly. They look kind of angry as they say it. And they're kind of this way. And it says here that it gives you grief. It increases sorrow. So the more he learned, the more it grieved, it grieved him that there is not answers outside of God and outside of that. He said, you know, this life under the sun, it's just empty without God. That's why he is the answer. The more empty it seemed, and the more empty it seems, the more depressing it gets. And the more depressing it gets, the more cruel it seems, because it's just men using men for getting you know, a few men to get ahead while everybody else suffers. And the more unsatisfying it is, why bother? Why get up and go to work? Why get up and go to work? Why get up and go to work? Why bother in all this? And so they just quit, and people check out, and we have a high suicide rate for that. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. I'm mad right now. I'm depressed right now. I'm, there's no answer. There is no accountability. There's nothing there, so they just quit. Tell me Satan's not behind that? No, he's, Satan is behind that. And so they do the same thing over and over, and it's so repetitive that there's more nothing and there's more emptiness, and you pass it on to the next generation. The more aches that you get, the more you see how people can suffer, the more you've learned, the more you see how that hurts them, and the more people are affected by it. And the more uh, you see the lost state of man, you're just like, it just seems empty. It seems depressing, and that's where he goes. But I remind you that he is looking under the sun. He's looking for answers in this world. And in this world, there is no hope. But in God, we have all the hope. He is the answer. And so this world's running down. It's dying. Our creation is dying the death of heat loss. The sun is burning out. The earth is slowing down. Things are spreading apart. We're going to get too far apart where gravity doesn't work. They're, they're fearing for this. And so they're like, the answer is an earth. And that's why there's this desperate search. There must be another earth out there that maybe then we can send my, mankind to. Then maybe we will be satisfied there. That's the same thing that Satan does with you. It's like, here's a new car. Open it. You'll be satisfied. I am satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I want a new car. There's another new car. I'm satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I need a new car. We need a new house. I need a new house. And he just keeps you opening something new until you're dead. And you never looked after those things that are truly satisfied, which is serving him in relationship with him, having your salvation, winning others to Christ, knowing that they're going to spend eternity with you. That's the crown of rejoicing that we're promised. Other souls will get to go on to eternity and have real life that has meaning, that has purpose in that way. Satan is a good distractor, so we've got to watch out for it. So, yes, there it is. He is the answer. And the answer is not another planet, not another solar system. It's the creator. And coming in fellowship with that creator, he's calling each and every one of us. And everything that we list and we find ourselves depressed and sad about, stick Jesus in it. Lord, this job is just not getting me. He's like, are you doing it for me? What are you doing it for? Are you looking for fulfillment in that job? You're not going to be fulfilled in that job. You're going to be fulfilled in me. Are you tired of what you're doing? Why are you doing it for you? What's your motive? Why are, you doing it? are we doing it for him? Because we're supposed to be serving the king. 
You know, he could take a mundane job and make a fantastic job. I'd recommend to you the book Safely Home by Randy Alcorn. It's about a scientist, and then he turned out to be a street sweeper who turned out to be serving in a prison and all this stuff. But as long as he did it for the Lord, man, the way he did it and the way in which he did it, again, it's a, it's a fictional story, but man, it puts it in light of that's how we're to be serving him. Lord, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this as giving you back my talents and, and serving you and doing the best that I can. He goes, and if I'm to be a street sweeper, Lee Thuan says, he goes, then I will be the best street sweeper that I could be. God is praised and glorified and honored in that. If we serve him in that way, humble ourselves, then God can use you in your testimony. He's calling us to come home. He's calling us to repent. He's calling us to him. Because you know what he says he can do? I can make the crooked straight. He's one of my, I can take that bent reed and I can make it whole again. I can take that smoldering flax, I don't snuff it out. I re-oxygenate it and I make it flame and burn bright again. That's who Christ says he was, right? He came and did it. He goes, I'm the one who could t- fill in the gaps to take the crooked and make it straight and fill in the gaps of your knowledge. You will learn of me. and You'll be satisfied. And yet we'll still want to learn more and we'll learn more and we'll ever be learning from him because he's an inexhaustible, th- inexhaustible uh, thing to search. So taste the Lord and see that he is good. Have your sins forgiven? You get to live forever? You get to take others with you in eternity. We get to search and search and search and be satisfied in that search, glorify Him in that search, and uh, just be uh, satisfied in Him, knowing that it is Him, and saying, Lord, I see what you're doing here. I see how you're Elaine and I turned in and we saw two crows look like they were feeding a baby owl that might be hurt. Crows do that. They take care of other things. They took care of Elijah. Uh, they, they take care. And we're like, that's cool. You know, they're over there. It looked like they were bringing something to it and dropping it off. Like, you got some enough to eat here? And so it was on the road over here. I don't one of you probably ran over it coming in. True and mean people. No, it was in a field. But it was just like, just to see how God moves and how God works. And uh, we watched a fox come up our driveway one day. And we were talking about that again yesterday. Just how you could tell he was clever in what he was doing. Just seeing how God put all this and how everything is. Just knowing that he is there and be glorifying God in it. God, you made that. You made a kitten like a kitten. And you made a dog like a dog. And you, and you made these deer like deer. And then they do that and they do their job and they do it well. <clears throat> And Solomon, let's just quickly turn to the end. Look at chapter 12. We'll read a memory verse plus one. Just to know the conclusion that he comes to. Now in the next few chapters, he's going to break down and go and look. And he goes, well, he ends depressing here. He's like, it's sorrow and it's grief. And so he's going to try. Well, he goes, well, if sorrow and grief and learning's no good, maybe entertainment's the answer. So he's going to go look at that. And, and, so we'll, we'll, and he's going to search out everything. And we're going on this journey with him. But here's the conclusion that the smartest man in the world came up with. So Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Keeping his commandments, there's instruction in that. It shows us how we come to him, right? Verse 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment and with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil, he says, how you live your life will be judged. And if you live your life hating him, running from him, despised and rejected, or turning to him and glorifying him, he says, you're going to be judged by how you live your life. This is what he came up with. You're going to be judged. You can't live life. Life is meaningless and empty without God. So get with him, learn his rules, learn how it is. And his, rule, you know, his word tells us how to have a relationship with him. It's through repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. And if we have that, he says, now you have this life and you have more of this life. You have abundant life. It gives us the meaning and the purpose that we don't live for ourselves. We're living for him. We're living and serving a king. 
So the answer for the meaning to your life is outside of your life. It's in the Creator and restoring that relationship with Him. And He's put that drive, and He's put that want, and He's put that hole within us so that we would seek it. Not because He's cruel, but because He loves us, and He's drawing all men into Himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.